0: This is the 12 Songs of Christmas, today with 11 Acorn Lane. My name is Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. Last week, I got my first COVID vaccination, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. But it's also made me feel a little neurotic, because I don't want to be the guy who made it this far, then contracted COVID at the last minute before the vaccine took effect. I've been pretty rigorous for the last year, masking, distancing, washing my hands like crazy, but now I'm washing even more. I'm going to hug somebody someday, but for the rest of this week, I'm going to have to deal with living inside my own head just a little bit longer. My guests this week are Levin Acorn Lane, who released the album Happy Holy Days in 2010. It nodded to the exotica and hi-fi recordings that found new attention in the Lounge Revival in the 1990s. And when I included one of their songs in a previous episode, I was pleased to see that they were still together, and saw that I had drawn attention to their Christmas music. We connected and set up some time to talk, and today we have that conversation with Thomas Foyer and Neil Polly, who played all the parts on the album. To give you a sense of what that means, here's their version of Jingle Bells. They'll talk about how they did it and what their story is, so I'm not going to go too deep into that now. Since then, their music isn't quite so ornate, but you can still draw a clear line between these Esquivel-inspired Christmas songs and the jazz-meets-electronic-music vibe of last year's Let It All Hang Out Balkan Flip. We'll hear a little of that now. that conversation i want to circle back to something i was thinking about last week on last week's episode i talked with gareth jones about indie rock christmas music and in part of the conversation that i didn't use i asked him if he knew that spirit thing by sunless he didn't which is why i cut it but it's a track by a portland-based band that i doubt exists anymore since their soundcloud and tumblr pages haven't been updated in six years I found the track on a good indie comp titled Star Over that was released in 2012 and it too has almost managed the rare feat of disappearing from the internet. It included a dream pop slash Velvet Underground Venus and Furs-like version of Angels We Have Heard on High and an electronic remake of Mannheim Steamroller's arrangement of Deck the Halls by All Tiny Creatures. Sunless and That Spirit Thing stayed with me because I haven't been able to share it. At six minutes, it's drone as a test for people who just want holiday songs to sound like holiday songs in their Christmas mixes. And when it finally becomes obviously seasonal, it does so in a manic way that is a whole different kind of imposition on some people. The song takes its title from the 1988 film Scrooged with Bill Murray. And at the end of that, when he's learned the true meaning of Christmas, He does so in a monologue that verges on a psychotic break. Sunless takes that monologue and lets it emerge from their drone. And for me, it works as a creative imagining of what modern Christmas music can sound like. It doesn't have sleigh bells or fa-la-las, but as Gareth and I were discussing last week, many classic Christmas songs from the 40s, 50s, and 60s don't have anything obviously Christmassy about them either. Only the words and decades of play on the radio and in stores lock in the association. Here's an excerpt from That Spirit Thing by Sunless. We'll come back on the other side with Thomas and Neil in 11 Acorn Lane. So to start with, since I'm talking to two of you, uh, identify yourself so that listeners know which voice belongs to who.
1: We're Eleven Acorn Lane, and I'm Thomas Foyer.
0: and I'm Neil Pauly. All right, and so I know you're both. You're you're based in the states, right? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, we're both here. Where? Where's home?
1: Uh, Oh. The New great Jersey. state of New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> i am in
2: Hoboken. I've been in. I've been in Hoboken for. Uh, uh, it's hard to say, but twenty-five years already. Oh wow! So uh, I've been here, and uh, where are you? Where are you, Thomas? Again.
1: I I was in in New York in the beginning of our collaboration, like when we recorded this. We actually recorded it in in Manhattan. In a yes. tiny, tiny uh one bedroom apartment. I, I, I can't remember how we used to do that. And then I, I used out I moved out to New Jersey. I just saw like, you know, whatever Neil's doing is usually better. So I, I followed him. I'm uh, like, uh, I'm gonna go where he is. He he must know something. I don't know.
0: So y'all both moved here from Europe. From, uh so each of you from where? Yeah, I came from Switzerland.
2: Yeah, so not from United Kingdom, from UK. Yeah. All right. Sheffield.
0: Okay. So what were the Christmas music traditions you grew up with?
2: Nice. Well, I remember, uh, I was talking to my sister about this yesterday. We had one specific Christmas record that came out every year. And uh, it was a compilation I later found out by Goodyear, the tire company, I think. And it had, like, uh, it had Andy Williams, the Ray Conniff Singers, I can who else, Doris Day. And it had, you know, the 10 songs, uh, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, and um, just classic Christmas songs. And every year we would put that on. So that was my Christmas Christmas record experience. And, um, yeah, that's it. Oh, later, I did later on i did realize i think perry como was on there too so I, I i would listen to perry like later when i came over here when christmas came around i couldn't find that record but i did find perry one of the perry como christmas records that i play every year because it reminded me of that record so that's that was my
0: other than that were there like where was was christmas music as much a part of sort of the world around you at christmas time Uh, there as it would, as it, as it is here?
1: I don't know. I was, I was actually going to say for me, I don't even remember a record from when I, when I was a kid, like Neil just said, he he remembers this particular compilation. I, I, I don't think we played Christmas music. We, We sang these songs, but I don't remember listening to, to them, uh, to any artists. So we would, we would, uh, sing them like my mother loves singing the christmas songs and so we sing all these um swiss uh german christmas songs many of them are are, are the same that you know that that we ended up recording but with with uh swiss lyrics and that's 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 how what i remember so i feel like here i i it's probably also because i'm i'm older now and i'm more sensitive to the to the environment i i, I seem I discover a lot more Christmas music. I don't. I, I don't remember that much Christmas music as a child, besides the songs that we used to sing.
0: Yeah, I found that. I, I've talked to a number of uh, of, pe- of people from, especially from Europe, about this, and it's one that is very hard to appreciate here because you know Christmas music is just such a big part, and it, I mean it's part of the atmosphere, and it's you know it's hard to entirely get away from and i remember talking to a uh, a duo an americana duo from uh from um i think from norway and that they were telling me about you know much the same thing that you would have there were like a uh, norwegian versions of um a norwegian version of silent night that was very that uh was very popular And that there were people who would do Norwegian versions of many of the sort of the Christmas classics. Uh, But that you just, you know, it's not like you would go out and you would just hear, you know, Peggy Lee and uh, Perry Como and, uh, you know, and, and just have this music, this collection of music just sort of always around you somewhere.
1: Yeah. Different culture. I say maybe the English culture is is slightly closer to the American one because you're closer to those artists. You, yeah, you understand exactly. the lyrics to begin with, you know. Like in Switzerland, when I grew up, most people didn't speak English, so it, you, you couldn't quite relate to to uh, American Christmas songs. And so, that if anything, there was there was like Swiss Christmas songs. I mean, the same Christmas songs, but with Swiss lyrics and or German lyrics around. All right, Neil.
2: Yes, we 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 were very Americanized. I'm sure that when you know, uh, you know, We had Starsky and Hutch, Christ's <laughs> sake. So and uh, so, it, I I just remember you know a lot of yeah. You know, it was very similar to here. Lots of music, Christmas music, Perry Como. My dad was a big Perry Como fan, and uh, Andy Williams, of course, and um, all those American singers.
0: So Thomas, if you had no particular background in this music, how did you come to this pro- to the project of uh, Happy
1: Holy Days? Well, I know the I know the music like you know I grew up with these songs, so it's it's something that's dear to my heart. I just have not heard uh, like uh, American famous versions of these songs. So what what we uh, wanted to do is basically record songs that were dear to our hearts that we grew up with as kids and just put our own flavor on it which of course is also influenced by many artists that 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 we love and and just uh do our versions of of those songs maybe maybe i was influenced by the fact that I, you know i'd already been living in the united states for several years and you know so i i saw that christmas music is more of a thing and that i could have maybe unconscious subconsciously inspired me too to say like oh here uh, christmas music is, is more of a thing and and let's let's record those christmas songs that, yeah it that seems I like
2: all, all serious artists have make a christmas record yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like okay you know we're
1: serious let's <laughs> yeah we're not you're not serious <laughs> until you've made a christmas record
0: <laughs> well you know yeah. yeah. But but that there there's a truth to that. I mean that was a point where there were, you know, if you were somebody, you had a Christmas record.
1: Yeah. Isn't it interesting to think like basically at that point you're doing the same or very similar musical material all through the different genres and artists and 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 so there's like one variable less than you would usually have. The original song is gone, let's say in general. So you just hear how everybody does Silent Night and that in itself is very cool because it it, it you kind of it brings down the 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 essence of that artist. How does that artist do Silent Night or Jingle Bells?
0: It, that's actually been was part of what drew me to Christmas music as something to pay attention to I, that I don't find I mean, I I love hearing it in Christmas season, but I don't need it to be Christmas season because for me, this was one of the places where you could most clearly hear an artist's creativity. Because an artist an artist taking on Silent Night is taking on a well established melody that everybody knows, taking on a very well established chord chord progression, of a well established lyric. And so if they're working with the same basic elements as everyone else, what do you do to make your version to give your version a reason to exist? And so, it always seemed to me that this was a place where you really could hear an artist's creativity um, in in some ways in the simplest fashion possible. Um, what do you do yeah. with these basic uh, basic tool uh, basic structures? Yeah, and um, you know, and in that in a lot of cases. I mean, I've always thought the worst version isn't the out-of-tune version or the, or the weird version. The worst version is the version you can't remember even exists, uh, yeah. where, where somebody made all the same choices that everybody else singing the song made
1: yeah.
0: and uh, chose similar arrangements and did essentially a completely safe, completely uninteresting version. I, w- I would rather hear the bad version that's weird or strange or off-the-wall that's far more interesting. That's far more memorable and says something about creativity far more so than the version that is simply, you know, that that is, you know, the C plus, you know, generic, uh, you know, generic arrangement, generic performance. You know, there's nothing to that.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. I agree. Nice. Well put. Yep. so if you could say like uh if if you want to know what an artist sounds like go to go to their christmas record <laughs> it'll give you a the, the true essence of
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i i i think that's I think there's a lot to that yeah uh, you know, and the funny thing is if we we talked about Perry Como we've talked about Andy Williams, and one of the things to think about is, can you name an Andy Williams or a Perry Como song that's not a Christmas song <laughs> I probably
2: can't.
0: No. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to look it up too. I could. Not. Not, not like yeah. I'm doing this because I'm cause I'm better at this. But it. But one of the things that I think is interesting is that this material, this material, really lives, uh, and that these people had fully fledged artistic, you know, performing careers as artists, and that the part of their career that has lived is the Christmas, uh, their their Christmas music. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. this will have it for a lot of K- people this, you know, that Christmas music will endure in a way that other music they make may not. This is it, Thomas.
2: This is our legacy. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so tell me the story of how the project started. In, in, in our press release, it says it was created over three years. Really? I, I remember, remember especially, I, I remember especially at the end, we were, working very hard to finish it but i mean obviously i'm I'm, I'm sure that's right what, what we said in there we probably i think we did did we do jingle bells first we just said let's let's do one song yeah just to fool around and then in between other songs that we did we did another one and then at the end we're like all right this is going to be an album and then we work really really hard right the summer before that christmas which was r- really weird because you, you end up making Christmas music in the summer, and everybody does that because everybody's release date is going to be sometime in October or November. And you've got to have the music ready by August, the latest. So I remember June and July, we were going at it like crazy to finish this. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's an interesting experience. I wonder what the neighbors were thinking. These we, guys had to sw-
2: we would have to switch the AC off every time we recorded something, remember? Yes, <laughs> we were sweating in that room.
1: Oh my god. My apartment's this. right under the roof in, in a Manhattan building. So you've got the probably black rooftop and very thin walls and roofs and stuff. And it was unbelievably hot. So we're recording Christmas music in like hundred-degree weather. And uh <laughs> and, and, and and we're sweating it because we it was a lot of like acoustical guitar parts that, that needed to it needed to be absolutely quiet. you, you could you could hear the refrigerator. Uh, <laughs> so turn everything off. Yes, <laughs> that was an yeah. experience. Yeah,
2: oh, that's a good point. I forgot that about that. I, we did that in the summer.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I was uh, I, when you started to tell me the story. I was thinking that you know I live in New Orleans, and as hot as New Orleans is, that I've been more miserable in New York in summertime because at least here you can go inside and have air conditioning that you know and you can cool off but you know in a lot of in you know new york you know, a lot of places don't have air conditioning at all or it is like you know a window unit in a room
1: that oh no- that's that's that- what you got yeah window units that's the worst we obviously we had a window unit you know this is a small one bedroom one room just uh was a studio entirely and in 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 that room, I had a window air conditioner. In the whole building, everybody only had window air conditioners. So I still had, have it. That I was that was windows. so loud, and and obviously it's it's too loud to even I mean, you record anything for that matter. Too loud to almost listen, just to listen back to it. So it was. We had to turn it off a lot. And there's you you don't get any airflow. It's super humid in the in the summer there. That was. Yeah, we we that was a lot. There's a lot of sweat in this in this record. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of blood and sweat. <laughs>
0: So you started with uh, your first thing was a version of Jingle Bells. How did you yes. how did you land on the arrangement that you chose?
1: That is still a mystery to us, isn't it, Neil? You know,
2: not only the Christmas record, but other stuff we've done. N- now, listening back to them, I- I- I'm I like, how did we do that? It- it's it's just um, I don't know. How did we do it?
1: I think Jingle Bells, we did like, like we did many things, which is just like go bit by bit. We didn't have like a, a like an, a, an overview of the whole thing. We did for some um, arrangements. I remember, I forgot it's Hark the Herald. We said like, ah, oh, we're going to, do the form three times and in, in the middle, it's gonna be like a classical counterpoint kind of section. And in the beginning this, so we had like a, a rough outline and we would even maybe write a few things down. But in general, very few of these arrangements are even written. We would we would just basically uh, Maybe Neil would start, I I think that's a good starting point. Neil would start with the guitar laying down a track for like a verse. And so we have the harmony and and the rhythm there. And then we start overdubbing and the guitar might go away again at the end. Once we realize we have all these things now, the guitar may not stay. It's basically just like a, like a, a little outline that helps us. Like a, 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 what a scaffolding or something to hold on to. <laughs> and then you remove that once the, the track stands on its own. And then we would just, we did this all, like nowadays too, we do it mostly by ear. We just, we play all these instruments and we kind of arrange as we play, which has the benefit that we, we only write for us what we can play like i'm always thinking you know it it ends up sounding like a, a bigger orchestra and yet in a big orchestra you have to, all these guys come in and they have to play whatever parts you put in front of them we we make up our own parts and so let's say the piccolo parts are never going to be that complicated because i'm not that great of a piccolo player <laughs> but <laughs> for <laughs> <laughs> for sax we could write you know something a little more intricate and so it's kind of like totally tailored to to us we we making the best out of the the instruments that that we play Hmm. And then it, it 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 comes down to uh, we, we get lost. We like we we have I, I listen to it now and you go like you, you could not write. I don't. I don't know. I guess you could write this down, but we didn't write it down. And it was just like, oh, Neil would go like, oh, let me add this. I hear like a French horn there, or I, I want to do a little cornet uh, section just for like an answer of like five notes, like da 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 da, and then do that with four cornets and and put that in there, and they're not going to come back. And that's a luxury that uh, very few arrangers have to be able to just pull out the section and then and have them on your recording session and and not use them for anything else because you you would have to hire a a bunch of guys. And here it's just us recording us ourselves many times over. And we we can do limitless, limitless little cameo appearances of instruments that we don't have to hire.
2: You know, one thing I remember on Jingle Bells is, I remember one time you turned around and you said, check this out. And it's that, it's that part where it goes, um, you know, laughing all the way—that's the line. But you did it on a percussion instrument, and it was just like shing ting and everything was like a different. Everything was like a different percussion, and you just came up with you. I remember you spinning around and said, like, "Check this out!" And I, I was—I sat there for like twenty minutes, and then we put that together, and it's like it was, a, it was the Earth's greatest part, I think. In the thought, because you—you you can hear the melody even though there's no melody. You actually your, your ear puts the melody in. Uh, because of the percussion. It's yes. just uh, it's
1: yes. genius. That, but that that is such an Esquivel thing to do. I yes. I wouldn't be surprised if, if if he did that somewhere and we, we subconsciously had it. You know what I mean? Like it's just that's to me that's that's what, what, what Esquivel is all about. Yeah.
0: I, I, I was going to ask, when you were working on it, were you were you specifically nodding to Esquivel in this version?
1: It it ended up doing that, yeah. I don't. I don't. We didn't set out to say like let's do like an Esquivel version, but a, a lot of our our arrangements end up, you know, nodding to Esquivel, mm-hmm. just just the way we we go at it. And and it's just I don't know. We just channel him, or it's just natural. We just love him, and it. That's that's how we end up doing things uh, quite often.
2: Because so we have you know, We we could. Can... We have a lot of variety, and we certainly put that in.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. It's, it's
1: like the arranger's attention deficit disorder. That's it. like he, he brought that to to the max. I mean, it's like Henry Mazzini did amazing arrangements, but he was he, he, he was never quite as as jumpy as Esquivel of like oh, let me do and then like loud trumpets for two seconds and then we go down to the piano and like all over the place, and and it, it's so entertaining to to listen to that. And since we we play so many instruments, I think it also that's also what, why it came naturally to us. Basically, it's just he would have fun he, with what we got.
2: He would go in the studio and record like a couple of albums in a day. Yes, he, he would do that in a day. Yes, so it was incredible, incredible. Yeah. The arrangement. I mean, he, he obviously wrote the arrangements beforehand, but
1: yeah. wow it it took us weeks and weeks and weeks because we had to overdub it all ourselves <laughs> <laughs> but if you have really great players like like he has and and you have the charts you could record this in a couple of hours i remember reading they would they would write the faders they would they would be like five guys on the mixing board you know doing all kinds of uh, automations and and panning and all kinds. of stuff. I had all. It had to be done by hand. It was like a performance in its in, on its own. Yes. To, to get that right, I'm always thinking, what would Esquivel do if if, if he had like, uh, you know, these modern, uh, the audio workstations like Pro Tools or Logic or Ableton? Yeah. He he would go absolutely nuts because it he, wouldn't he, be he, it he, wouldn't be as good uh, at all. It would not be. You as don't good. think so? Nah. Sometimes limitations bring out bring out amazing things. Yeah.
0: Welcome.
2: Welcome. welcome, welcome to my space age, age bachelor zoo zoo wah,
0: Esquivel kind of had a you know a, re- a resurfacing in America in you know in the early 90s. Can you tell people who don't know a little bit about Esquivel who he was and kind of you know what you know what, what his you know what his claim to fame was? Okay, Wikipedia Esquivel. <laughs> 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 no because
1: I I don't I don't think I have any like super good trivia.
2: No, he was he was a Mexican, he was a Mexican musician and uh a uh, pianist and um, a, co- a composer, of course. And uh, I don't know if the, the whole history of how he started. I know he was a, some kind of a child prodigy. Prodigy, and uh, he ended up in America making these fantastic records, uh, instrumental records, which was part of the the um, what's the genre, Thomas? The lounge.
1: Yeah, lounge. bachelor pad, bachelor uh, pad kind of
2: lounge, cocktail lounge kind of thing.
1: What do they call it? Atomic something? Uh, space age. Space age. That's a good name for it. Yeah, space right. age bachelor pad. That kind of that
2: name. But yes. uh, yeah, it is a re- and he used stereo in ways that really hadn't been. I mean, st- stereo was a new invention back then, and used stereo, but used a different panning. So he got a. Very spatial arrangements, very special recordings that he made.
0: Yeah, it, it's a it's a period I'm fascinated by and because like his records, uh the three sons, and there's a number of a bunch of stuff from that period, um where in a lot of ways the records were made specifically to show you what a hi fi stereo could do. And so there are they're almost hyperactive in their locating sounds in space. And so you have these you know in a lot of ways remarkably sort of visual uh recordings because they use panning sort of so specifically that you know that like this you know this marimba is is in front of you and that this instrument this uh, kettle drum is behind that instrument, and you can very, you know, you can with remarkable accuracy locate the sounds in, in the in the space in front of you. Yep. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yes. He took that to extremes.
0: So, and one of the things I thought you picked up on that, and in, in his uh, that I, that I really respond to, is the attention he play, paid to the texture of sound.
1: Texture and and the and the changing of textures, so the the juxtaposition of of different textures that, that create surprise. I guess that's, that's I think if you think about it, that's what that was that's what it's all about. But and and in a, it's, that's like an arranger's an arranger's thing, and and when it comes to Christmas music, almost all that's left is is the arranging because the music itself is written. And then, so you're 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 pushing that further than, than you may otherwise push it, because otherwise you have like a song to present and you want to like serve that song. And and here it's almost like the you you uh, the song is, is is already known. You want to you it's more about the arrangement even than than with with other songs. And so this this texture thing and and constantly changing textures is that's I think that's one of our main in, in general one of our main things that we like to do, but especially in the in the Christmas record.
0: Now, how many instruments are there on the Christmas record?
1: I don't remember. Did, did we count it somewhere? Is it somewhere in a press release? <laughs> I don't remember. 27, 32? I don't know. We we made an image. We 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 put up all our instruments uh, in, in, in in the apartment back then it it didn't fit we had to do it twice we did one wall with half the instruments then remove them all and then put the other half of the instruments and then glue those two images together in in photoshop wow. and that's i think that's pretty much all the instruments we play on that record and it must be a few dozen what do you think neil yes a lot
2: yeah. No, uh, we didn't have uh, we didn't have strings though. We didn't have violins. No strings. No violins.
1: And no piano. We're the, the the pianoless, trumpetless, and stringless band.
0: That the that piano, I understand. Considering if you're up in an apartment building, the last thing you want to do is hoist a piano up that up into uh, up into a building in downtown Manhattan. Trumpet. <sighs> Uh, yeah, maybe, but why no strings? Nobody plays. Nobody plays strings.
1: Yeah, we don't play. We don't play strings, and we, we didn't want to use uh, like sample strings. You know, which is is very common to do, and it sounds usually pretty good. But we just figured we want to just do the most with with what we can actually play.
2: I bought a viola once. <laughs> uh, remember where I bought the viola? Because yeah. I play a little bit of upright and I and so I put it between my knees and tried to play it like a cello but I I don't even think I could produce like a usable note on it so we we abandoned, we yeah. abandoned that pretty quick I still have it it's up there somewhere I have still have it
1: again I feel I feel like those limitations help us produce a, a more unique sound you know, when you when you just do like a, a computer synth-based thing, you have every sound at your fingertips. No, none of them real, but all of them real enough. And and then you could do whole orchestras, but it's it's it, it's limitless. And at the same time, it it doesn't really have a character. this to pro tools or logic yeah yeah it was all digitally done and that's the only way we we could have done it because we we, you know we ended up using so many tracks We, we do you know four cornets or four trombones and overdub ourselves so even even one of those 30 something instruments would be recorded many times over to create a section of bones or clarinets or flutes or something like that and that's and that's that's all thanks to to the to the invention of, of these things, the computer hard disk recording.
0: When you d- did this, were you doing a sort of a, a full take or were you recording a section of it and then basically cutting and pasting that through and then building it out that way?
1: How did we do this, Neil? I think we, yeah. we what we would do is sometimes we, we have a section, like a an eight bar section, and we'll take one instrument and say like, oh, let's see what if if there's anything we hear that trombone could play in that in uh, there. So we would play like an eight bar section through, maybe even more. It's almost like instrument by instrument sometimes, but sometimes we would say just for like one for one bar. We say like, oh, we need like a little uh, cornet answer or a little clarinet run, and then we'll just punch it in, just punch that the, cl- the clarinet for for that bar and and double it up or. Quadruple it or something. So it
2: one, one of them we ways. did remember one of the Mazinkas. What's the there's a Mazinka with a lot of time changes in it? That was that was kind of well planned out. I for that one, I remember you're playing um what's that thing they call? Or the, you sit on it. The ca- play,
1: Cajon? Cajon? The Cajon. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. That's fantastic. We
1: bought a cajon. The only time we ever used it was for that one song.
2: It sounds great. Yeah, It sounds great in there. Yes. And, uh, but but that one with, that one was like a map that we planned that out. It's going to, okay, it's going to go here. Well, Thomas, you're a genius with, with that. And then, um. That's the what that I do remember that. Yeah, I planned yeah.
1: it out, and then I turned to Neil and said, "Like, okay, you fill it all in now." <laughs> <laughs>
0: so
1: what is a mazinka? A mazinka is a, a traditional Jewish song that is played at. I know it as it's played at a wedding when the last child of a family is being married. It's a celebration, basically. Now you're you did a good job. The, the, the kids are all out of the house. The last one is, is in good off. hands. They're all married off now, and that's a, that. That is worth a special celebration. And it's it's a, a song that starts very slow. It's a beautiful melody. I love that melody. Uh, we we've, we've played that melody at the actual occasion many times, so uh, we we know it how it how it you know how it goes down. When it's it's so beautiful to see the the, the people's joy. You know when 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 you play that music. And they hold
2: hands. They hold hands like that. They yeah. all dance dance
1: around the parents. Yes, right? yes, yeah. And do they take dance them up around. on a chair there? No,
2: they, nah, I don't no? know if they there. do that in the music. Maybe, but I don't but know. But
1: it's all about the parents. Sit. I guess the parents are... are oh no, they sit. They sit. They sit, on, they on, sit on two chairs. They all dance around them and then they dance by them. And, 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 and there's a line who, uh, to congratulate them.
0: include uh not just one but two mazinkas on a christmas record
1: Oh, actually yeah we should actually say it's not it's not officially a christmas record it's basically and and we didn't call it holidays we call i mean we call it holy days so basically we're celebrating any kind of holy uh occasion that it doesn't have to be christmas for that matter like we have a a marching band piece on there which is also (laughs) not very christmassy if anything you could say maybe that's like a Macy's Parade, November Thanksgiving, kind of thing. So, so you could say like, well, that's that's a, a holy day in this, not in a religious sense, but in a, in a cultural sense, it's a it's a holiday. It's, we, we celebrate Thanksgiving, and and that could be associated with with it. And especially for us, it meant something because we both played marching bands. Uh, and wind orchestras when, when we were teenagers. That so that's basically was, that something we was. wanted to get in there as a and and there's actually so many celebratory occasions where a marching band will play something at at, at parades and uh, receptions of like uh, heads of state or so. It's it's not necessarily religious only and not as necessarily one religion only. It's like basically any kind of uh, celebratory uh, holy music in the sense for us.
0: But one thing I was thinking about when I was listening to it, uh, getting ready to talk to you, was I noticed that it's like the first five or six songs are traditional Christmas songs. Yep, yep. And then after that, you have like two Mazinka's The Marching Band song, uh, All Lang Zine, and the version of O'Tannenbaum. And yes. I was thinking, if this was vinyl, it would it would have been a really natural split to have like the Christmas songs on one side and then yes. after that the more general on the other side and i was wondering did you sequence it even though obviously it was going to come out on cd did you sequence it at some level with that kind of vinyl record
1: mentality in mind i i don't think so we we never thought about two halves of it but we totally thought what you're what you're observing is i think what what we intended that to to keep the the, the the more Christmassy songs in the beginning and 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 have that be like a little unit I, did we i think we must have because that's the only way it makes sense
2: yes yes, <laughs> yes because oh well, the first six songs they uh, you know they're incredible
0: even though i say it myself <laughs> <laughs> your response neil makes me think here you didn't know what those songs were going to be until they were finished. Am I right? Yes.
1: Yes. yes exactly. Oh, yes. Yes, we did. We did not map it out and say uh, this is going to be our album. We were choosing these songs. We we kind of did them as we went. Sure. We we started with Jingle Bells and and then and I think we we might have tried. Or looked into a few others that we then abandoned because we didn't feel inspired enough, or didn't connect enough with us, to where we didn't have an idea what you know we might be able to contribute. That is that is uh, worthy of of recording. So uh, and we did another version of.
2: Did we do another version of Jingle Bells? We did a few versions of it, didn't we? I yes, we might have yes. done some. Maybe one a little faster or a little slow. This Yeah,
1: yeah. So
2: we did. We did, a, we did a little bit of
1: playing around. And, yeah, but we didn't map it out. We basically just did like one one song after the other. I'll tell you why, why I, I ask, and
0: one of the things I always think must be a real challenge for a musician, is that so often you have the idea for a song, and maybe you go ahead and you, sort of while you've got it and you're excited, you get something recorded. And then when you finally get time to record it, at some level you're chasing that initial, ambi- that initial excitement, and you're trying to live up to whatever promise the song had when you first thought of it. And I was thinking that, and, it's, it's prob- and, and I would, there are times where I think it's probably never as much fun and never as exciting as that moment when you first thought of it. And I would think, based on what you're talking about, that it must be really exciting to sort of have, to have a process that allows you to both be the creator and the audience for your music at the same time, and to kind of keep refinding the excitement, because every new thing you think of is actually sort of still you're you know sort of back on the tight wire, trying to figure out will this work? Can I make this work? Yes, it works, and that's yep. got to be really exciting to be in a, to be able to to not be chasing. A you know, sort of a dream that you had—it'll be this thing—and instead to discover to discover what it is all the way through and all through the process.
1: Exactly. So it's actually almost the opposite of that process that you uh, described as as what usually happens with with artists—the the chasing of this idea. It's because there is no original idea at the beginning. It's it's an existing song. we're not. We don't have to create anything it's here and it was uh, let's let's put some clothes on this on this naked song and and see like oh look that jacket works really well uh-huh. so it's basically it's very fulfilling because it ends up exciting you uh, more and more the more you go because you don't have like this this idea of of what it's going to be but as you put on the clothes on this naked song it it ends up you end up dressing it and and you and you, you're getting excited for every little piece of cloth you put on or, or take off because you say like oh okay, that doesn't work as much but you're still you keep surprising yourself positively with 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 new with new clothes to put on and that's, that's, that's an exciting process. So you, it's actually, you know, you're not chasing, you constantly discovering uh, new and, and, and exciting things to do.
0: You also mentioned, we were talking about Esquivel and you also mentioned uh, Henry Mancini. Tell me about your affection for Henry Mancini.
1: Just, just like the, the, the greatest writer ever.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, Esquivel may, may, may be one of the greatest arrangers ever, but Henry Mancini is just like the greatest composer ever in my book like the greatest piece of film music ever written is is the pink panther to me and and then it doesn't end there. it's, it's like it's it's like everything he did is just unbelievable melodies unbelievable you know sensibilities with with the picture and and with the, the the music it's it's just amazing
2: i mean he he used like he used real players too right i mean the big bands it's like his big band scores it's like a real big it's not like um it's not tempered, or it's not like a an approximation of a big band. Like some of the, some of the compo- film composers <clears throat> had. I mean, it was it was it's swinging, and it's it's real, real, uh, real, uh, real music.
0: Yeah. Is there a song on the on the album that shows? More of a Mancini, it uh, shows some Mancini
1: influence. <sighs> I'd say Hark the Herald. I the way it sets out once once it gets into the middle parts, it, it gets too Esquivelish With it gets all distracted and, and it, it's constantly trying to reinvent itself. Mancini would have like an amazing theme and then let that play and. Then, in between the theme, the, the band would not do the craziest things. They right. would like somebody would take a solo, and you know, then there's like stuff, uh, the network time killer, <laughs> 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 and then and uh, but the, the the unbelievable thing in the in the beginning is is the theme, right? And and uh, Esquivel would take a theme and and then just go nuts with it and say like, how how crazy can I arrange this theme? And Mancini basically just wrote the the craziest themes so the beginning of I think the beginning of Hark the Herald Angels I was I hear
2: we had a like a little a little chorale in the middle of it, right? yeah. is that the, is yes. that the one
1: <laughs> yeah
2: well we had done that before on uh the record did we do that before on um everybody's here is that before this I think
1: it is. Everybody's here is was recorded before. Yes.
2: Before so record. we did that before. And I think at some point we're like, oh, let's do this here. So we had like a little bit of a template there that, you know, we knew arrangement wise it, it would work. And especially for a Christmas song, you know, being a, a chorale kind of thing.
0: An interview that you had, you had started working on material, or you had some ad- additional material for for more Christmas music. Whatever happened to that?
1: Oh, 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 oh now we're, we're being ah. held to account. Ah, ah. <laughs> Whatever happened to that? And Neil mentioned it too. We we, we did start another version of Jingle Bells because we always thought we, we wanted to do like a fast, swingy, upbeat version of it. And, and then, the same thing happened to that as happened to about thirty-two songs that are currently laying around on our hard drives <laughs> 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 that are waiting to be finished. It's the artist's fear of finishing a song because once you finish it, you have to stand by it, or or you can't change it anymore. And and so you just keep pushing it away, and like, because it I, 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 it's going to be great. But you're finishing something means you're. You're you're settling down on something, so now you don't have endless possibilities anymore. Now you're stuck with something, and it's 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 you're taking options off the table. That is that is a tough process, and that's process we haven't done with 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 the the remaining ideas and with many other songs that we hopefully will finish soon.
0: Well, I wonder—is it you know these were tracks? I mean, tracks you you were working on back in. This is 2010, and before, because I know you said it was yep. a few years' process. Yes. Would it, would it be hard today to go back and revisit music that you were working on more than 10 years ago and to figure out what's the right thing to do in a right place? Would you, would you, be, able, would you be able to go back and make the kinds of musical choices now that you made then?
2: I think we would be able to, but I don't know if we would do it. Um I don't think we would make another record like this, a Christmas record like this again. I don't think. What do you think, Thomas?
1: No? Yeah, I agree. It's partly like we've done it. I I really like what we've done. As as you said, Neil, sometimes I, I listen to it and go like, wow, I can't believe we did this. This is this is really good. <laughs> again. <laughs> just being surprised by, you know, not listening to a song. And then a, 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 a while later you go like, wow, this is really good. I didn't remember it was that good. So, and, and in a way I think we, we probably would want to do something different now. This this thing's like been there, done that a little bit, but we could take anything we've recorded and we would probably finish it in a, in a, in a different way. It's, it's all backed up and ready. Um, it's very compatible. <laughs> the good te- technical decisions have been made, so it could <laughs> it could it could be finished. But I don't know if artistically we, we would want to do it. It would be something different, sure, this time around. I
0: well, will tell you, one of the reasons I ask is because I've listened to listened to the the tracks that you uh, you released last year, and they are they are more streamlined. That you know they are they're far more efficient. I'm guessing what, that if I'm hearing it right, what you're doing, what you did in the last certainly in the last year is also probably more hip hop based in the idea of clearly uh, of clearly program uh, loop drums or lo- and looped parts. Yep. So can you draw the line uh, between what you did uh, with on high on Happy Holy Days and where you are musically now?
1: I feel like we—I we, mean, we did use loop drums on the on Happy Holidays as well. I think what what made us do such intricate arrangements is because we wanted to kind of show or, or or like play with with what was there to play, meaning the songs already written. So you you do much more in the arrangement than you usually would. So I feel like that's that's part of. Uh, whenever we, when we we take an existing song we we recorded uh ladies night for instance uh by cool and the gang and there too i feel like we we did uh, maybe more things in the arrangement than we would usually do with our own songs because because there's the, the song's already there so you feel like in order to contribute something you really gotta gotta shine on the arrangement so i feel the style wise even uh, christmas or not we have Evolved into a little bit more, maybe beats driven things. We we used to do things that could clearly pass as as a, as a as a as a Martin Denny or an Esquivel recording, or you know, aspired to be that in, in the sense that it was just all acoustic. And in the last few years, we've we've incorporated maybe more electronic uh, things. And if we did another Christmas record, we would probably do that too, because it's, to me, that's. I feel like that's it's it's a more exciting thing to do now than than um, than just purely acoustical instruments. What do you think, Neil?
2: Yeah, you know the, this record, the Christmas record. You know, there's a lot of things on there, but there's a we threw away a lot of things too. So it was like it was very, uh, you know, over the years, it's like okay, do we really need to? Uh, you know, have uh, four trombones on everything, and 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 it's just it's just that's just the way it's gone for us, yeah.
1: yeah. Maybe it's 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 a little bit. I I think right now we we uh, in the last few years we've we've thrown away more things even the even more things away than than we used to because I feel like the art is is to find the perfect arrangement to say the important things with as few notes as possible. <laughs> that's you know, we we like right now for for current songs, we go through three or four different completely different arrangements and different grooves, different uh, clothes on on a song just to find out what we think. Like, what what helps this song the most? What is what do we really hear? Uh, so I think we've. I don't know. That's maybe something that comes with with, with age. I don't know if you. Can call that maturity. I, I see it in, in drummers. Drummers who play like a lot of notes when they're young. Uh, you know, like every fill is a ton of notes, and the groove is a ton of notes. And as they become older, they all you know they they just to do a simple backbeat and and very simple hi hat figure. But it's tight. It's a pocket. It's like it's experience. You know, it, it works with the song. It, it needs fewer notes. I feel like that's maybe something that I I like to think we're doing. That we're trying to do a, fewer notes and and yet and yet have a more uh i don't know a, a better musical experience.
0: Thanks to Thomas and Neil for the time and the talk. You can find Eleven Acorn Lane at their homepage, on Facebook, on Spotify, and in all the places where we live online. As always, you can find me at Twelve Songs and Twelve Songs of Christmas on Facebook. If you haven't already done so, subscribe, follow, or do whatever you do on whatever platform you go to to get your podcasts. If you're listening via Apple, do us a solid and leave 12 songs a five-star review. All those things help others find out about us. Thanks to AF the Naysayer for the theme music, and thanks to you for listening. We'll finish today with one more from Star Over. I mentioned Angels We Have Heard on High from Ormond earlier on, and here it is. Talk to you next week.